Thank you for listening to this week's podcast from the Horsham Church of Christ. For more information, please visit our website at www.horsham.org.au. Morning, church. Morning. Uh, this morning we'll be continuing the series on uh, Big Story. If you have your Bibles with you, can you turn to Joshua chapter 3? We'll be reading a portion of uh, uh, chapter 4 as well. And I've titled the message today, Crossing the Jordan, the first and the last. Uh, we will be examining the great theme of God as the author of salvation and perfecter of our faith. And throughout the message, I'll be just making three major points. Uh, just before we head into the scripture, I'd just like to give a little bit of context and background before we uh, start Joshua chapter 3. So the book of Joshua reads like an action-packed blockbuster sequel to the book before it, that's Exodus, which in and of itself is an explosive entry into the Bible. Now, in Exodus, God sent Moses to rescue the Israelites who were at that time under slavery by the Egyptian empire. So what followed was a showdown between God, the creator God, versus Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and Moses, his servant, versus the magicians of the Egyptian court. And God performed many miracles of grand scale, including splitting of the Red Sea, and he delivered the Israelites to safety away from Egypt. And a historical moment, a point, was when God uh, went, uh, enacted a covenant with Moses and the Israelites at Mount Sinai. God gave Moses ten commandments. So covenant is basically like a legal agreement. So God said, if you obey the ten commandments and worship me as the one and only true God, I will protect you, make you a great nation that you will be in turn blessing to other nations. But with so many dramas uh, and plot twists, uh, what happened was series of betrayal and rebellion. The people rebelled against Moses and God, followed by God showing mercy and redemption. So what was meant to be a two-week journey from Egypt to the promised land turned out to be a 40-year uh, wandering in the wilderness. So while recently preparing for this message across the internet, I, I've actually found a potentially an alternate explanation as to why the Egyptians, uh, sorry, Israelites were spending 40 years in the desert. So if only Moses had Google Maps. <laughs> Worst navigator ever. So by the end of 40 years, Moses uh, passed away, and God appointed Joshua as his successor and entrusted the mission of leading Israelites finally out of the new wilderness into the promised land to cross. And before that, entering to the promised land, Joshua had to cross the Jordan, the river of Jordan. And this is where we pick up the story. If you have your Bibles with you, chapter 3, verse 1. Now, early in the morning, Joshua and all the Israelites set up from Shittim and went to the Jordan. 
who had a camp before crossing over. After three days, the officers went throughout the camp, verse 3, giving orders to the people. When you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God and the priests who are Levites carrying it, you are to move out from your positions and follow it. So the ark of God is basically a wooden box embroidered with gold, and in it it contains the uh, tablet, contain, uh, two tablets containing the Ten Commandments. It, the ark, ark of God represents the presence of God. Verse 4, then you will know which way to go since you have never been this way before. Fair enough. But keep a distance of about a thousand yards between you and the ark. Do not go near it. Verse 5, Joshua told the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. Joshua said to the priests, take up the ark of the covenant and pass on ahead of the people. So they took it up and went ahead of them. And the Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the eyes of all Israel, so that they may know that I am with you as I was with Moses. Tell the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant, When you reach the edge of Jordan's waters, go and stand in the water. So Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gershites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one as soon as the priests who carry the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot on, in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. Verse 14. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zeratam, while the water flowing down to the Sea of Arabah was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed crossing on dry ground. Chapter 4, verse 1. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests stood, and to carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. So Joshua called together the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God, into the middle of Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan was cut off. 
These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So, friends, we pick up the story right in the thick of action. And, and we can sense the intense intensity of the chapter opening with a bang. You see, the, Joshua is not leading the Israelites into a land of welcoming land. He is leading them to a land full of hostiles. All the surrounding nations in the promised land were hostile against the Israelites. And we see in verse 10, chapter 3, that Joshua, the Lord says that he will be the one to drive up before the Israelites all the opposing neighbors, hostile neighbors in the land that he promised. And the entire story unfolds in a very tense atmosphere. As later in chapter 4, as soon as the Israelites cross over, about 40,000 armed for battle was prepared to go for, to, to war in Jericho. And so, folks, as followers of Christ, sometimes in our spiritual journey, do not be surprised that you face opposition from the world. You face hostilities from people around you because of the faith you proclaim. But take heart, because in the entire book of Joshua, it, it, it's, it doesn't tell the story of how great Joshua is as a leader, or it's not about his amazing military conquest, but it's about God as the altar warrior of our salvation. I asked the question, church, who was the first one to cross the river? Who was the first to cross the river. Verse 11, chapter 3 says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. So God was the first to cross into the river. And this brings me to my first point. That is, God goes before you. Now, when you are facing uh, difficulties in your life or oppositions due to the faith that you proclaim, that, that you are a follower of Jesus, do not be afraid. Take heart because the Lord of all the earth goes before you and He will prepare the way for you. He will split oceans in your life and He will bring life into areas where there seems to be no life. And one amazing or interesting observation in the story of Joshua, as God is leading the people, something amazing happens. In verse 17, the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood in the middle of the Jordan on dry ground, while all Israel passed by on dry ground. Now, I'm not God, but that seems to be a very inefficient use of time because it is estimated that close to half a million refugees were traveling on that day. So I find it odd that God should stop in the middle 
and, and wait for all the people to pass. Indeed, chapter 4, verse 11 tells us that as soon as the, all of them have crossed, the ark of the Lord and priests came to the other side, crossed over. So my question is just, who was the last to cross over? There you go. You guys are catching up pretty quick now. <laughs> when I was reading this passage, verse 17 stood up, had the largest impact on me. And that brings me to the second point. That is, God will stop for you. Can you turn to your neighbor next to you and just encourage them saying, God will stop for you. I asked God, why, why would you stop? Still, I asked God, why would you stop in the middle of, of, of this? And Father God told me that this, His action can only be understood from the heart or perspective of a parent, of a father. God showed me a, an image of a father leading a school of kids crossing the road. Now, the, the, the father steps into the road, stops the traffic from both directions, and lovingly shepherds each of his child to cross the road before finally going on to the other side. So you see, the God in the Old Testament, He sees His people not just as servants or followers, He sees them as His child, His children. The psalmist, King David, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, says this, What is mankind? that you are so mindful of them, human beings, that you care for them. And Paul in 2 Corinthians wrote, I will be about God, that He will be a father to the Israelites or to all believers, that we will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. So God don't just see us as followers or as mere believers. It's more than that. He sees us as His precious sons and daughters. Now, this is amazing because up to that point of crossing of the river, Joshua and the nation of Israelites have not done or achieved anything spectacular for God or have they performed any works, good works. But yet God would stop for them because they are His children. We are his children. And friends, do you remember what was the instruction that God gave to Joshua as soon as they finished crossing the river? So God instructed Joshua to uh, choose 12 men from each of the tribe of Israel and to select a stone. And, and this stone represents like a memorial. And, and in, in chapter 4, we see Josh uh, saying to the Israelites, in the future when your descendants ask the parents, what do you, what these stones mean? Tell them Israel crossed Jordan and dry ground. Do you know why God gave this instruction? Because he, he knew that we humans, we are very forgetful. And true enough, like after, within a generation after Joshua's time, Israelites, the, the, the nation of Israel began to rebel against God they started to worship pagan idols in the land, Canaanites. 
But he, here is the point. This, there is a powerful lesson still in this uh, scripture passage. That is, as believers, in our faith journey, in our life, when you have, have doubts in your faith, when, when you question, God, are you still here? Do you still care? Be reminded that God has laid down stones in your life, markers of His faithfulness, that He is trustworthy, that His track record is perfect. And all we need to do is to reflect, to count our blessings, and we know God is faithful. And so, following the story of Joshua, after Joshua, the uh, people of, uh, of Israelites, they, they started to rebel against God, and God repeatedly uh, engaged, reprimanded them. And they reached a point where the people told God that, you know what's our problem? Our problem is we need a king, a human king like all the other nations. And God said, fine, because you are so stubborn, you can have your king. And what had followed was a series of some good kings, some bad kings, and some very, very bad kings. And so we see the entire nation of Israel continue to downward spiral to the point where the, the nation of Israel was split into half and conquered by other foreign forces such as the Babylonians. And at that point, the, when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem, the capital of the Israelites, they destroyed the city, they destroyed the temple, and the Jews were living in exile again. And from time to time, God would send messengers known as prophets to remind the nation of Israelites of His covenant, His promise, that if you repent from your ways, He will give them a home. But this continued for just a short, brief uh, moment of time, and God stopped sending prophets. I suspect maybe part of it is because most of the prophets that he sent was killed or stoned to death by the people because they don't quite, didn't quite like the message the prophets were preaching. So friends, this morning, if you have any issues with the message, <laughs> Simon's office is open Monday to Friday, <laughs> 9 to 5. And there seems to be a huge gap in time, several generations. Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, it seems that there is no prophet, no news, and God seemed absent in history. And sometimes that is true as well in our spiritual journey, in our life with God. There will be seasons in life where you will feel that God is distant, as though He is silent. But that brings us to the last, my final point of the message today. That God is with you always, always. Now, during the time of exile, when the Jews was uh, in exile, living exile under the Babylonian rule, God, through the prophet Jeremiah, prophesied this, uh, this is a famous scripture, Chapter in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That sounds fantastic. 
And most, some preachers has even used this as a basis to suggest that God wants to give you everything, the good stuff, the, the health, good wealth, spiritual blessing, etc. But this verse, in its original context, if you read Jeremiah, refers to a new covenant that God intends to give to His people. And it was not until 700 years after Jeremiah gave this prophecy that in, we, we come back to the place where it all started, River Jordan, a man by the name of Jesus. We know him as Son of God, King of kings, Lord of lords. He got baptized. And if we just follow a passage from Matthew, New Testament, chapter 3, verse 16, regarding Jesus' baptism. Now, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up of the water, and at that moment, heaven was open, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. Verse 17, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. You see, when, when in Joshua's time, Joshua led the Israelites to a physical place, a, a promised land, and God split River Jordan to allow safe passage. But when Jesus got baptized, River Jordan, there was calm. There was no splitting of River Jordan. But something else split open. Heaven split open. As though suggesting that Jesus will be the one to lead us back to our true home, the real home. And at this stage, it is tempting to conclude that heaven is our home. Heaven is a place that we will go to, and Jesus is our ticket to heaven. Now, recently, my three-year-old uh, Audrey started having nightmares at night. How do I know? Because she comes in, and she tells me, wakes me up at three in the morning, and she says, I'm, I'm scared, Daddy. Monsters are chasing after me. So I did what most uh, responsible, loving parents would do. I, I told Audrey, dear child, Thou shalt not fear monsters. For Lord your God shall be your shield and fortress. Jesus is with you. Now be gone, back to your bed. <laughs> and she went back to bed. I was quite pleased with myself. <laughs> but the following night, she came back again. Woke me up. Daddy, I'm afraid. Monsters are chasing me again. And I said, again? But Jesus is with you. She said, yes, Dad. You see, when I woke up, I was looking for Jesus. I couldn't find him in the room. I think Jesus is still up in heaven. You see, Dad, the problem is I don't have wings. I can't fly to Jesus. And I believe sometimes we have that mindset too, that heaven is a place far beyond our reach. That is, it's like a place that we can go to as Jesus makes the way. Jesus is the way to heaven. But do you know, friends, Jesus never once said that He is the way to heaven. But in John chapter 14, Jesus did say that He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one goes to the Father except through Him. So what Jesus is saying, that He is the way to the Father, Father God. 
And I asked the question, what makes heaven, heaven? Besides Josh Clooney, what makes heaven, heaven? Heaven is where Father God is. Heaven is where God is present. And if we we think God is only present in heaven, look to the book of Joshua. What did God refer to to himself as when he says he will lead the Israelites? He referred to himself as Lord of all the earth. God is also present on earth. And when we pray the Lord's Prayer, we are praying as it is in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus is the way to Father God. Now, Jesus made the way for God to come and dwell within us permanently. There is, before Jesus, there was a great chasm, chasm, between humanity and God because of something called sin. Now, sin is not just the bad stuff we do or crimes that we commit against one another. At a personal level, sin is our rebellion against God's lordship. It's when we say, I want things my way. And God, being the loving Father He is, He is also a holy and righteous God. And He has to judge sin. And Jesus came to took upon himself the sin of all the world, of our sins. And he was crucified on the cross as a substitute for what should have been ours, divine judgment. And in taking on the sin of the world, he defeated it at the cross. On the third day, Jesus rose again once and for all, defeating death. And for all of us who put our faith in the work of the cross through Christ Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit. We receive God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in us. So you see, folks, when we, when we proclaim our faith in Jesus, we bring a piece of heaven in us everywhere we go. Sometimes we hear the phrase, heaven invading earth, and we are praying, heaven, please invade earth. Do you know what you're asking? You're asking for us to invade the communities around us in Jesus' name. But the interesting thing is, sometimes we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus with people around us. We, We sometimes sometimes present a version of God who is not too happy with humanity and, and, and He is waiting to tell you off because you don't quite live up to its standards. But the Scripture clearly tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us who can be against us he who did not spare his own son but giving up for us all how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things do you know we sometimes have this idea that god is angry 
with us is not quite happy because we are not doing the things that was meant to do. But do you know, Jesus is happy. Jesus, God is happy. They most spoke about joy, to be joyful. Do you know where's the true source of the joy? It says about joy of the Lord is our strength. God is pleased. As when Father God announced to Jesus in his baptism, with you I am well pleased. But Jesus had not begun his ministry at that time. Jesus had not achieved anything for Father God. And yet, Father God said, with you I am well pleased. And it is so for us today, Father God wants to tell you, with you, I am well pleased. God is for us. God is not against us. And Jesus is happy to be with us, not only when we behave well or we live up to certain moral standards. He is happy with us all the time. He is happy to be with us. Jesus is known as friend of sinners in the Bible because he just likes to hang out with us. He thinks, genuinely thinks they're awesome. La- time flies, like last year when I was sharing a message, we, Akin and I, we were expecting our third child, uh, Chloe, and, and now she's almost seven months. Now, a lot of people tell me that uh, she is amazing. She's in a good paddock, <laughs> and she looks just like me. I, I, I'm not too sure about that, but I can tell you, she's one good-looking baby. <laughs> so, and, and, and that's the heart, Father, when Father God sees us. You are one good-looking child. You are amazing. God is for us, not against us. And when we struggle with our faith, our journey, be encouraged that being confident of this in Philippians, that He God who has began a good work in you. Not we who began a good work. God who began a good work in you will be with you always, will carry it on until the end of times, until the return of Christ Jesus. Can we pray? Father God, thank you for your amazing unconditional love for us expressed through your son, Jesus. And Jesus, you will go before us, you will stop for us, and you are with us always. And I pray that being rooted and established in love, that we and all of us here may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, and high and deep is the love for Christ. And to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.